morning, we're in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our evening today together. I pray that even though we have a weird routine, you would be amongst us and that you would pull our hearts and minds to you as we always do to pour over your word. I pray just as you've called Abram to you, I pray that we would be called through your word, the more sure word, more sure than miracles, that we would be content and find all of our satisfaction in you and that our submission to it would be to your glory. Amen. I wore a tie, as is my custom, just individually for me, in speaking, I wore a tie, but I quickly realized the sense of, as it was getting warm, and I didn't want to sweat profusely all over the pulpit and then make it a, a scene, which it might still be. I'll try my best to keep the temperature down. But I realized, you know, as, the, as we would have it, that uh, ties are made for men, not men for ties, right? So uh, they, they, they can go without violating significant law. Um, but this evening as we gather, I, I, I mentioned this, and I would say last week, but remember, we're still in the same week. So I mentioned a few days ago, uh, our last time when we were together, uh, something we, we really need to grasp in our study of Abram and, and, and Abraham and, and his life and development. So, so I labor with you just for a moment to really recall this to mind. It will significantly impact our understanding of Abram and our sense of faith as we walk by faith and not by sight. To rightly exercising our faith, the challenge that comes to us, you, myself, all of us in the faith who walk by faith, the significant challenge to rightly exercising faith is most often the element of trust. Anyone who's, who has prayed, as we prayed today, the people of God, the Lord's Prayer, uh, desiring God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, is an act of trust that, 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 that I have a will, I have a desire, I have a want, I have a goal, but, but to submit and to trust that your will in heaven on the earth is what is right, good, true, and beautiful. Again, we rather easily acknowledge things. When, when, when facts are said of the faith or, or, or biblical statements are made, we often acknowledge those facts. We then, in the second component of faith, we often easily even assent to those facts as being valid. But where we struggle, beloved, is coming to trust and rest upon him who promises in those facts. This is why I say to you in the thoughts of the Lord's Prayer, do we really rest and believe and resonate with the truth as we pray? Your will, if it were on earth as it is in heaven, is the good that I need. 
It's a challenge to all of us because it's trusting that, not just merely saying it, though saying it is indeed still significant. You see, it's that element, though, of trust that enlivens and motivates lives of obedience. This is true of Abram. As I hope you'll see in the next few moments, I'll, I'll give it away, but then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of develop it a little bit. But, but, the, but the giveaway up front is to say the command to come is enlivened and empowered unto Abraham to leave his father's household and to go because of those great, true, and precious promises that God extends. This is how the gospel comes to us. Great and precious promises. Wherein we hear those promises, and we hear the command, indeed, in light of these promises, repent and believe. And so be saved. This is true of Abram. That it's the element of trust that will enliven Abram's faith. Not acknowledge and assent. Indeed, that's probably true, but I'm going to leave for now and go with my father. I, it probably is right, but it's the motivated trust that moves Abraham's faith forward. So also our own. Again, you recall, as we thought about it a few days back, on Lord's Day of this week, Sunday, that Abram is told to leave his father's house and to venture out to an unknown land that God would reveal and show to him. Yet in trial of faith, Abram hesitated. We know that because we took a few moments to go to Stephen's speech in the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're told by Stephen that God appeared to our father Abram while he was still in Mesopotamia. While he was in Ur. And Stephen expressly says, before he went to Haran. Abram had trial of faith. Facts are stated. Those are acknowledged. Even assented to as good and right. And yet, we labor, beloved, we labor to trust and to rest upon him who promises. One author makes mention of it, Old Testament scholar, makes mention of it this way, saying, quote, Abraham is told to leave by himself for Canaan. But he does not separate himself until his father dies. This introduction represents Abraham as slow to believe. You see, as it is with Abram, the man of faith, so also with us. Faith first deposited, received of the Holy Spirit, must undergo trial on its way toward maturity. Again, I, I unite the text as we ought 
As with Abram, so also with us. Faith first deposited, God's good deposit, must undergo trial. Whatever they are in your life, and they are in mine, we the pilgrims on the way must undergo trial, examination and difficulty, striving and strife of faith. But it is not simply for the sake of strife and strive and, stri- and trial, but it is on its way, beloved, to maturity. I share these words to you from James. You're familiar with them. You don't need to turn there. I'll simply read them. But James also used Abraham. But I speak of our shared faith with Abram as James addresses you and myself together, the household of God. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And and again, he then gives a rationale as to why. How how can we? When when you're going through things, I know you are, and, and I know that because you're human beings. So am I, together, as the people of God, go through things in life that are trials to our faith. And here, James speaks to us to say, count it joy in those trials. And you have to ask, how? How can I? How can I weigh that to count difficulty as somehow a joy? How at all? He says, verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Which is, as he concludes, that you may be perfect. In other words, you you, you may be complete, lacking in nothing. You see, we can take heart in trial. And I, I, I don't say that easily or skim over real life problems and difficulties. I ask you to receive that by faith. That we can, beloved, take heart in hardship. And the grounds for such heart, or, or, or as he says, joy, in the idea that I'm growing into maturity through these trials. It's the same for Abram as it is for us, his offspring. That although our faith be tested and undergo trials, as James says, of various kinds, the faithfulness of God is the basis for all confidence in trial. Meaning, as we'll notice in the life of Abram, Abram's performance will not be the grounds for his confidence. Neither is it the grounds of your confidence, but it is always the performance of another, namely 
Jesus Christ. That is how by faith we can believe these trials will produce in us steadfastness. These trials of faith and strain and striving will produce steadfast maturity. One author comments regarding faith's challenges in the future this way, saying, quote, the future is not indeterminate. Think of Abram when he says, uh, leave your father's house. Abram is just shy of 75 years old. And he's 75 when he does depart. Moses tells us that in chapter 12, verse 6. Somewhere in there in Ur, he was told to depart. And there's some wavering on his part between when he does depart and when he is commanded to depart. But imagine being told to leave your father's house. Go where? Well, just put one foot in front of the other. And I'll make it known when I make it known. How would you act? under the stress and the striving of faith. The future is not, though, indeterminate. Abram must have believed that. Left to chance or the caprice of stars, the gods, demons, or even natural forces. But the future is in the hands of a good God who has condescended to take us into covenant relationship with himself. The heart of such a rich understanding of the future that is not indeterminate in the life of the pilgrim, but that you believe that your life, trials even present of various kinds, that the future is still good, that steadfastness is being produced that I will one day arrive at the shores being made complete, and that these various trials are contributing to that greater joy. The heart of such an understanding is wonderfully yet concisely stated by Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, as he says this, the summary of the call of Abram, the summary of covenant theology, the summary of the gospel, the summary of our lives. We use it often here as a benediction to the people of God as they go. Paul sang to the church, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Consider then the weight of this call and the mobilizing of faith into the category of trust, where trust produces actions of obedience. Abram must have believed that. He who calls me out of the land of the Chaldeans is faithful. He will surely do it. If you're there in the text for this afternoon in Genesis 11, or excuse me, Genesis 12 then, just briefly considering 
Abram's faith and its growing toward maturity through trial. Notice the command and the weight of it. Appreciate the weight of it sincerely. Verse 12, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. Go to land that I will show you. Again, a text quite easily read. and doesn't need a lot of opining or expression or filling it out. But it might take a moment that we just receive it well for the weight that it truly had in the life of Abram. If you think of it just for a moment, God is commanding Abram to leave absolutely everything he has known for the first 75 years of his life. Again, I think we can appreciate the weight of the call for Abram, who we know was in Ur, and then he went to Haran. And now he is leaving all kindred and no more dwelling in a city for Abram. No more living in a town or a village. But Abram is now called to be a sojourner, a tent dweller. I don't think it's hard to think. I mean, yeah, I think if we look back to the year roughly, I don't know, we're somewhere in the early 2000s, between 2000 2030. And surely creature comforts are much different in Ur or in Haran than they are here in Pittsburgh or in our homes or in the 21st century. I mean, everybody would admit as much. Creature comforts, not many of us would wish to be translated back. But nonetheless, if you existed then, you indeed had them. Predictability of schedule. You ever had an unknown future? and felt like you couldn't plan your Monday because you didn't know what was happening in a month from now and you felt paralyzed. We're just creatures of habit, right? We like to know our days. Many people do it by phone now. Many people do it in a planner, old school style. But whatever it is, however you get it done, we like to be in forms and habits. This is not new. So it is with Abram. But he has to leave every last bit of that alone. One author mentions it this way, summarizing the command unto Abram. Abram is here called to be a sojourner. He will now be a stranger in a strange land. Yet as I opened up to you and spoke of it this way, and I hope you understand it in this progression, So also we hear it in the gospel, as I have mentioned a few moments ago, that as God does call his people, and he calls us out of comfort and into challenge and into difficulty, or in through, as James says, various kinds of trials, he also therein furnishes his calling with precious promise. That the pilgrim who undergoes the trial is able to rely upon reliably. Notice the promises that empower Abram's obedience. If you're there in the text again, notice 
The land is unknown. The sojourn begins when we get down to verse 4. But notice verse 2. So Abram hears the call to leave. But then look at the precious promises provided. Verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before we look at each one, just briefly for a moment, I wish you to receive the fundamental picture here at the point of Abram's calling. Because fundamentally here, as God calls forth Abram to leave and then furnishes him with blessings and promises, these blessings express the central truth that God, by free and sovereign grace, has separated Abram from the rest of the world and has entered into an honored an exclusive fellowship with Abram and his descendants. You see, we need to get the order correct. That the command comes and he hears it, and it's the furnishing of the promises that empowers Abram for obedience and mobilization. Because it's the same in the gospel that we hear today. It is the call to repent but we hear the call to repent in light of the promises provided. Therein you will be forgiven. The promises of the gospel mobilize our faith into obedience. It is true of Abram, so also of us, when we struggle in obedience, there is not a need for more law and more legalism. There is a need, beloved, to rehearse the promises of the gospel. The gospel creates gratitude and furnishes a faith toward obedience. Abram, it will henceforth be known across redemptive history that Abram is God's friend. I want to show you how that impacts Abram's descendants. I'll read for you from Isaiah 41. You don't have to turn there, but if you wish to cite it, Abram, uh, Isaiah 41, beginning in verse 8. God says to Israel, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, and he says, the offspring of of Abraham, my friend. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. You fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
You see, Israel, time and time again throughout redemptive history, will be reminded that she is not first and foremost a nation, but she is a church. She is, as Peter then applies to the church in 1 Peter 2, she also, we with her, Abram's descendants, are first and foremost a priestly people. We are a people for God's very own possession. We are called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Why? Why must Israel be reminded that she is blessed above all, and she inherits a life with God, that she is a special possession of his own taking, that she is uniquely his priestly people? The answer for why she lays hold of such precious promises is because she is a descendant and an heir of Abraham. So also are we the church of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned to you before, I will simply introduce each of the three promises I want to draw your attention to this afternoon. I'll simply sketch them and then we'll close because we will watch each one of these flourish and flower and expand over the course of our study of Abram's life. So here I just want to introduce them. You'll notice the first great promise that God flowers his command to come. He flowers with gracious gospel promise. He will make Abram, number one, he will make Abram a great nation. Again, you see that in verse two, I will make of you. The promise that flourishes into Abram's life of faith, which prompts trust and actions of obedience to finally leave, is I will make of you, Abram, a great nation. Now, this promise is indeed magnificent, a scale of which we have a hard time even receiving. It nearly seems fantastical. Especially if we look back at the text earlier as we've covered, it is said of Sarah so far, all we know of Abram with his other two brothers, sons of Terah, is that Abram particularly has absolutely no future family opportunity. He is married to Sarai, his wife, only thing we know of Sarai is she is barren. In fact, Moses is emphatic. She has no child. There is no physical future for Terah's son, Abram, until God breaks in with promise and establishes with Abram and a barren wife. Abram, you will have descendants. And those descendants will grow into a mighty nation. Indeed, they will be a priestly people. They will be a church unto the living God. By the time we get to chapter 15, Abram is told to look to the stars and see if he can count them. Of course, it's stunning. And the response is all that it could be. Well, there's no way that I could, right? My blessings will overflow to you. So shall your descendants be. 
truly remarkable and astounding promise that mobilized Abram from acknowledgement and assent unto trust that gives way to obedient action. God often, if not always, beloved, flourishes his command with great and precious promise that we can trust upon. The second one that you'll notice is he will make a great name. Uh, you notice it quickly there, I will bless you and I will make your name great. That name will be so great that you will then, by the naming of that name, be a blessing to many, many people. You see, God pledges Abram that he will indeed achieve greatness. And yet once again, true to grace always, Abram will achieve all of this blessedness passively. He will receive it by divine gift. He will not achieve it by personal performance. This is cast directly, as we've already covered, of the Babel event in chapter 11. You recall the effort of those gathered at Babel were to make their own name great. This is what we're going to do. We're going to establish our city, our town. We're going to build our tower, cathedral, and we're going to make and establish our name for greatness. God scatters them abroad, picks a single Shemite, draws him out, and pledges to him, I'm going to make your name great. What principle can we learn from that? Of course, there's many theological things we could develop here, but simply what we see here in contrast to Babel and the life of faith that Abram possesses is that God defines and appoints true greatness. That might seem silly or, or sentimental, but to the ears of faith, it is nourishment. Might even suggest to say, to belong to God in a faith that rests upon and truly receives all that Christ is, is to share in greatness. Thirdly, the third one I just want to draw attention to and then we'll close our time together and move to the Lord's table. Third blessing we'll notice just briefly here, you notice in verse 3. Now Abram's already going to have a great name that, that will then be, as his name is named, a great blessing. But further into verse 3, God is going to take action through Abram. I will bless those who bless you. Think of that, the agency of Abram now throughout redemptive history. God has chosen instrumentally to work his blessing in the earth through Abram. I will bless the folks who bless you. And him who then dishonors you, I will curse. And then in summary fashion, the Lord says, in you, all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. The question, of course, at this time that we only have time to introduce as we now close. If Abram is to be God's blessing bearer, where he goes, so also blessing follows. If Abram is to be God's blessing bearer unto all of the peoples of the earth, not some, but all who share in blessing Abram, the question has to be, how can Abram be such a blessed figure? How? How how can this be fulfilled? How can that be true of Abram? And how is it true still today? The answer that this text points to is the wonderful fulfillment and future offspring of Abram. Matthew 1 Verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram could only be such a blessed figure if it is fulfilled in his future offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, these great and precious promises pertain to Jesus Christ our Lord and are experienced by all who in faith rest upon him and truly receive him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this Saturday afternoon to gather in your name, to read and preach your word, to sing your songs, to give of our time, our talents, our energy, to encourage the brethren to grow and be nourished in our faith. As we consider your table, the sacrament of the Lord Jesus Christ provided to his church. We pray that you'd bless our time and nourish our faith. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.